Well, the text for our message this morning comes from Second Chronicles. I suspect this isn't a book that you hear preached from very regularly, and I admit to you that I have not preached very often from the book of Second Chronicles. In fact, this may be the very first time I'm preaching from Second Chronicles, but in the books of Chronicles, and of course, we have, you know, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. You have to know these are not two books in the Hebrew Scriptures. They're all one book, and the only reason why there's one and two is because they appear on two different scrolls. I think every second book begins with the word and in the Hebrew, so there's a connection between the two. The book of Chronicles is very similar to the book of Kings, and it narrates the stories of the kings of Israel and Judah. And we encounter in Second Chronicles 27 a very interesting narrative about a king who distinguished himself from every other king in Israel and Judah's history. And so we want to read his story. Now, we're only going to project the verse that will make our text this morning, but I want to read the preceding verses as well, and you just listen as I read this account. It's the account of Jotham, Jotham, king of Judah. I'm going to read the first six verses. The sixth verse is our text, and that is the verse that will be projected. If you have Bibles, of course, you're invited to read along with me, Second Chronicles 27. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His mother's name was Jerusha, daughter of Zadok. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah had done, but unlike him, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. The people, however, continued their corrupt practices. Jotham rebuilt the upper gate of the temple of the Lord and did extensive work on the wall at the hill of Ophel. He built towns in the hill country of Judah and forts and towers in the wooded areas. Jotham waged war against the king of the Ammonites and conquered them. That year, the Ammonites paid him a hundred talents of silver, 10,000 cores of wheat and 10,000 cores of barley. The Ammonites brought him the same amount also in the second and third years. And now we find our text where I want to focus our attention this morning. Jotham grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord is God. This is the word of the Lord. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, I suspect there are two things that are true of you. The first is that you want to know Jesus more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. The second is that you probably feel like a failure. I know I certainly do. And I feel like I'm constantly dropping the ball as a follower of Jesus. Many of us are easily distracted, easily overwhelmed. 
Many of us feel scattered. Our schedules are full of things that aren't priorities in our lives. Many of us feel hurried. We're far more busy than we want to be. Many of us feel exhausted. We end each day weary and discouraged. Don't you know you have to try, try, and try? Are you tired of trying again and again, always trying and never succeeding? I try to be a better friend. I try to be a better husband, a better wife. I try to be a better father, a better mother. I try to be a better boss, a better co-worker. And whenever I try, I fail. Well, I want to convey a message to you this morning that perhaps is shocking to you, and it's this, stop trying. Because trying never works. I'm fond of something that Dallas Willard says in this regard. He says, don't try, but train. Don't try, but train. A couch potato, you see, can't immediately run a marathon. Actually, I did, but with a lot of Tylenol and with a playlist that had Eye of the Tiger every third song. And then you can run a marathon. You don't get a very good time. But so often we're trying to do what we can't do, and what we should do is what we can do. So, if you want to play on your guitar, you are my sunshine, learn a few chords. If you want to be able to bench press 200 pounds, try with 20 pounds to begin. Our problem, you see, is not bad theology, it's not biblical illiteracy, it's not that we need more instruction about the Bible or a more correct theology. The problem is that we try and we don't train. So I want to propose in the coming weeks a new way for us to live, a way for us to reorder our lives. This is not a quick fix for your problems as a Christian. This is not going to make you into some kind of Christian ninja. It doesn't guarantee guarantee you spiritual highs. It's not as if after a few weeks we're all going to be raising our hands in worship, but it will slowly make you stronger. What I'm proposing is not a new idea. Um, it's certainly not my own idea. It's a very old idea. And many pastors are finding that this idea is especially helpful for Christians in the world today. And it's called a rule of life. Not rules for life, but a rule of life. And a rule of life has to do with the way that you arrange your life, the way you order your life, the habits that you cultivate. A rule of life is, is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. And the end is that we are following Jesus more nearly. The end is that we are closer to Jesus. 
The rule of life I want to propose is a set of practices in order to order one's life around Christ. A set of practices to order one's life around Christ. Now you might say, I don't need a rule of life. To which I say, you already have a rule of life. Everybody has a rule of life, perhaps unconsciously, unintentionally, but we live with certain habits. We have certain practices. There are certain routines we have, ways we spend time, ways we spend money. You have all kinds of practices and habits that shape you. I'm fond of this line from Annie Dillard. How we spend our days is how we spend our lives. How we spend our days is how we spend our lives. So what is your rule of life? And what is it doing to you? You have a way of living. You have routines and practices and habits. And I suspect they're not liberating you. I suspect they're handcuffing you. They're ensnaring you. We need an intentional rule of life, a set of practices that revolve around the Lord Jesus Christ. And over the next coming weeks, I'm going to invite you to craft your own rule of life. But we're going to look at the kinds of practices that are good for us to know, the kind of habits that are good for us to practice so that our hearts will be discipled, so that our bodies will be trained, so in the end we are closer to Christ. So in our text, we find an individual who had a rule of life, and his name was Jotham. And in the time that we have together this morning, we're going to see two things. First of all, Jotham's rule and reward. And then secondly, your rule and your reward. This is an invitation to a rule of life. Over the coming weeks, I'm going to identify the important practices. You're going to craft a rule of life, a way to implement these practices in your own way, in your own life. Well, I wonder how many of you have heard of Jotham, King Jotham. He is one of the more obscure kings in the Bible. In fact, there's very little that we know about him, but his story appears in Scripture, as one writer puts it, like a quiet and pleasant oasis in the chronicler's dreary narrative of wicked rulers. Every single thing that is said about Jotham is positive. He is the only one of all the kings about whom we read in Chronicles and Kings about whom nothing negative is said at all. He's the only one. You'd think that he would be a household name. He is an individual that died in prosperity and at peace with the Lord. We're going to begin with Jotham's reward. What was his reward? The text says, Jotham grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. Well, how was he powerful? Well, in the context of our verse, we can identify some ways. He was a powerful builder. You can see that he added to the defensive wall to the south of Jerusalem. He rebuilt one of the temple gates. He built forts and towers in the towns, the text says. 
He was a powerful builder. But he wasn't just a powerful builder. He was a powerful warrior. He conquered the Ammonites, and he didn't just conquer the Ammonites. He received tribute from them. These in the books of Chronicles and Kings are the rewards for a pious king, a powerful and effective builder, a powerful and effective warrior. Well, how did he become powerful? What was the secret to his strength? Listen again to the text. Jotham grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. What does that mean? Well, again, in the context, I think we derive some hints, uh, one of which is this. When Jotham became powerful, he remained humble. When he became powerful, he remained humble. The text says earlier that Jotham did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah had done. Now, Uzziah, Jotham's father, was also a pious king, and many of the things that are said about Jotham are said about Isaiah. He, in some ways, was also a powerful builder and a powerful warrior, but when he became powerful, he became proud. And he thought he could do what he wanted to do. He assumed he had the right to do what priests did in the temple, and he marched into the temple on one occasion, and he offered incense in the temple, and when he was confronted by the priests, those courageous priests to confront the king, he became enraged, and when he became enraged, he was struck with leprosy. When Jotham became powerful, he did not become proud. He remained humble. Secondly, Jotham was faithful in a society that was corrupt. We are told in the context that the people around him continued to practice corrupt practices. They continued to worship at the high places. They continued to be idolatrous. While people in society around him were corrupt, Jotham was faithful. But I want to zero in now on the precise language that's used here in verse 6. Jotham became powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. Now, there's a more literal translation that we find in the New American Standard Bible, 1995. And here's what it says in that version, and it's projected for you. So Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. The secret to his power, to his success, to his strength, he became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. He organized his life around the will of God. Now the verb that's used here, the verb ordered, is often translated direct and often in connection with the word heart. So we read, for example, that Ezra directed his heart to study the law of God. A few chapters later in Chronicles, we find Hezekiah praying, may the good Lord pardon everyone who directs his heart to seek God. The verb was also used of meal preparation and military preparation. A chef prepares his spices before he or she cooks. A musician tunes his or her instrument before he or she plays. And a butcher sharpens his or her knife before he or she cuts. 
God himself is the God of preparations. What we find in the Bible are these great intervals of silence and seeming inactivity between the great events. It took thousands of years before Jesus arrived on the scene. And now that Jesus has arrived, it's taking thousands of years before Jesus returns. God is a God of preparations. You can think just and only of the life of Jesus. 30 years passed before Jesus entered official ministry. 30 years of preparation for three years of ministry. The verb to order has the sense of intentionality. The sense here is that we do not want to live life haphazardly. We do not want to live merely with spontaneity. A life that is reduced to spontaneity is a chaotic life. An unprepared person is an unfruitful person. An unprepared person is a defeated person when confronted with temptation. So in some sense, Jotham had a rule of life. He walked steadfastly. He ordered his ways, prepared his steps, directed his heart. And to what did Jotham direct his heart? Well, he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. And in this way, he distinguished himself, you see, from every other king in Israel's and Judah's history. He did not organize his life around power. He did not organize his life around people or popularity. He did not organize his life around achievement. He did not organize his life around success. He organized his life around the will of God. Jotham distinguished himself from the culture and community in which he lived. We already noted that the people continued in their corrupt practices. They continued in their idolatry to worship the gods of money, sex, and power. Jotham didn't. He remained faithful. He did not capitulate. Jotham organized his life around the will of the Lord. It was not the faces of people that were uppermost in his mind. It was the face of the Lord. It was not his throne or anybody else's throne that captivated him. It was that blazing white throne of the Lord that motivated him. This was the atmosphere in which he lived. Jotham walked steadfastly before the Lord, but not just before the Lord, before the Lord is God. It wasn't just an awareness of God, it was the realization that he was in a relationship with him. God had made this promise to the people, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And Jotham said, I am yours and you are mine. He had a personal relationship with God, and it was this personal bond that motivated him. Well, that's Jotham's role and reward. What about your, sorry, Jotham's rule and reward? What about your rule and your reward? We obviously don't live at the time of Jotham, and so we are not to organize our lives simply around the will of God. 
but we are to organize our lives around the Son of God, Jesus, whom God sent to be our Savior and Lord. And when you go to Jesus, you go home. And when you embrace Jesus, you experience rest. That's the starting point for a rule of life. A rule of life is not about trying to do something better. It's not about striving to be some kind of moral giant. It's not about gaining approval or acceptance. It's about abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ. And some of you who are familiar with the Bible know that Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, spoke to his disciples, his apprentices, about this very thing in John 15, and he kept saying to them, remain in me, abide in me, ten times. In John 15, we find that verb. Jesus said in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will have much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If we are to bear fruit in life, we must remain in Christ. If we are to do anything, it will be with Christ. But if you know anything about fruitful vines, and I certainly don't know much, vines do better with trellises. A vine that grows out in nature without a trellis will bear only a fraction of the fruit and will be far more susceptible to disease. To remain in Christ and to bear fruit, therefore, we need a trellis, a support structure, and a rule of life is such a support structure. It's a set of practices to order our lives, a set of practices that revolve around the Lord Jesus Christ, a way to organize our lives around Jesus, to work and to rest and to play and to eat and to drink in his presence. So a rule of life is not a way to gain approval from Jesus. It's not a way to obtain acceptance from Jesus. It's not a way to be loved by Jesus more. You are already loved by Jesus as much as you can be loved. You have from Jesus all the love and all the affirmation and all the approval you will ever need if you are a follower of Jesus. A rule of life is not about addition. A rule of life is about subtraction. It's not about adding things to our lives. It's about removing things from our lives so that we have space to abide in Jesus and to bear fruit and to grow. So as we prepare to establish a rule, here's your assignment for this week. Do a time and habit audit. That's what I want you to do this week. Do a time and a habit audit. Take inventory of your life and write down your habits, your routines, your practices, when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, what you do when you get up in the morning, and what you do before you go to bed at night. Pay attention to your practices. Your smartphone will tell you how much time you spend on your phone. And if your smartphone doesn't tell you how much time you spend on your phone, it's a dumb phone. Because most, most smartphones 
do this. What is the last thing you think about in the evening before you go to sleep? And what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? There's neuroscience that says these kinds of things, the last thing we think about before we go to bed and the first thing we think about in the morning shape our brains. They actually change our brain chemistry. What are your habits? What are your routines doing to you? What kind of power are they exerting over you? Well, finally, what could be the reward for such a rule? Jotham grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. The reward for believers in the New Testament, you see, is significantly different than the reward for believers in the Old Testament. And yet, I would argue that the reward is still powerful. If you adopt a rule of life that has a set of practices that revolve around Christ, that reorder your lives so Christ is prioritized about over everything, you will obtain more power. Power to see more clearly. Power to think more clearly. Power to relate to people better. Power to enjoy work more. Power to be more grateful. Power to be more joyful. Power to be more forbearing. Power to be more forgiving. Power here, you see, in the Christian life is not so much about acquisition as it is about accumulation. Even Jesus, for the duration of those 30 years prior to those three years of ministry, grew in wisdom and in stature and in power because of the set of practices that he had, he became stronger and stronger and stronger. You know, there's no such thing as a sin that's out of character. I find people using this phrase all the time, and I object to it. People say, well, I flew off the handle, but that's out of character for me. No, it's not. You have the character of a, of a person that can fly off the handle. I was flirtatious with a woman who wasn't my wife. That was out of character. No, it wasn't. You have the character of someone who can be flirtatious with women other than your wife. But if we order our ways before the Lord our God, reorder our lives around the Lord Jesus Christ, adopt a set of practices that revolve around Christ, we will slowly but surely become more powerful, become stronger. Not necessarily always a euphoric Christian experience, not always raising our hands in worship and experiencing spiritual highs, but incrementally a little more 
resistant to temptation, incrementally a little closer still to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you distracted this morning? Scattered? Hurried? Exhausted? Jesus invites you to remain in him and to abide in him. But you are the branches on a vine, and branches on a vine do best if there's a trellis, if there's a structure, a set of practices to support your life in Christ. And so over the next coming weeks, I want to invite you to craft your own rule, and everybody's rule will be a little bit different because we're all at different stages in the Christian life. For some of you, the rule might be read Scripture for five minutes. For others, it might be read Scripture for 15 minutes every day. For some of you, it might be pray three prayers a day. For others, it might be pray five prayers a day. For some of you, it might be you need to an hour of solitude every day. For others, it might be you need an hour of social time or fellowship with others. But certain practices identified in Scripture as practices that encourage our growth in Christ. So over the next few weeks, we will identify one practice at a time, and you can join me in crafting a rule of life so that we begin to know Jesus more clearly, love him more dearly, follow him more nearly, and not always feel like the failures we are. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we admit this morning that we need so much help, especially in this day and age where there are so many things to distract us, so many bright lights, so many voices, so much stimuli. And Lord, we want to be grounded. We want to walk steadfast. We want to order our ways. We want to direct our hearts to you, our God, and to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Please, in this week, give us clarity as we do an audit on our time and habits, as we begin to list the things that we do and how much time we spend on what we do so that we can begin to, to prepare incrementally uh, to draft a rule of life, a way of living in which you and your son Jesus are uppermost in our minds, in our agendas, and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.